Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello, I'm Cody Westbrook, and you're listening to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. What do you know about the Holy Spirit? There are a number of wrong ideas and false doctrines that exist in the religious world, unfortunately, even including in the Church of our Lord, about the Holy Spirit. Much of this, perhaps, stems from the fact that we don't preach and teach about the Holy Spirit probably uh, as much as we should. So we want to spend some time in this episode looking at some fundamental points and passages about the identity and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin, first of all, by talking about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Now, generally, as it pertains to God, there are two terms that we typically use in describing God. One is the Godhead, and the other is the Trinity. Now, in your Bibles, if you're using the King James Version of the Bible, you're going to see the word Godhead three times in the New Testament. One of those passages is in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 29, where the Apostle Paul, while on Mars Hill, makes this statement. He says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature or the Godhead. The divine nature is the translation of the New King James Version, but the King James Version may translate the term Godhead. Now, the term means divinity, the God or the divine nature, as opposed to the little g or false gods of paganism. That's the contrast that's being made in the context. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature or the Godhead or divinity, true God versus false God. That's the picture that's being drawn in this passage. But then in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, we see the term used a different time. And this time, the context has to do with the Gentiles and their rejection of God. Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In this case, the term Godhead has to do with God's divine essence. So that is to say, we're talking about the characteristics pertaining to God, like God's limitless power, like God's limitless wisdom, and so on. So God's divine essence, that's the idea of Romans 1 verse 20. But the last passage where we see the term Godhead used in the New Testament is Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. In Colossians 2 verse 9, in speaking of Jesus, the writer says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In this passage, when we see the word Godhead, what we're talking about is divine nature similar to Acts 17, 29. We're talking about the state of being God, or Godhood. We're talking about that which makes God, God. 
It's like describing fatherhood, for example. When you talk about fatherhood, you're talking about those things that make a father a father. When we talk about the divine nature or the Godhead or Godhood, we are talking about those characteristics and those attributes that make God, God. So that is the term Godhead. Now, the term Trinity, the term Trinity is not a term that you will actually find in your Bible, but you will find the idea or the principle of that term in your Bible. The word Trinity is really a compound word. It refers to tri, that is three, and unity, that is being united or being together. So when we talk about the Godhead or when we talk about the Trinity, what we are talking about is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The best way to say this or to think about it in my judgment is this. When we talk about the Godhead or when we talk about the Trinity, we are talking about one divine essence with three distinct personalities. It is true that God is one. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Jesus said, I and my Father are one, John 10 and verse number 30. And there are a number of other passages that could be brought in to to prove this point. God is one. But there is also a sense in which God is three. Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, we have a mention of one Spirit, one Lord, and one Father. So, when we talk about the Godhead, we're talking about one divine essence with three distinct personalities. Now, each one is God. Each one is absolutely God. Ephesians 1 and verse number 3 the, refers to God the Father. John 1 verse 1 and John 1 14 refers to God the Son. And Acts 5 verse 3 and 4 refers to the Holy Spirit as being God. So when we talk about the identity of the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is a member, if you will, of the Godhead or of the Trinity, the one divine essence made up of three distinct, co-equal, and co-eternal personalities. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, speaking of personality, let's turn our attention to the personality of the Holy Spirit. There are a number of false views of the Holy Spirit in the world that actually deny His personality. For example, our friends in the Watchtower group or the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than an active force. Maybe something similar to what you think when you see the movie Star Wars and they talk about the force. Our United Pentecostal friends believe that the Father and the Son and the Spirit actually are all the same person. And our Mormon friends hold to a false doctrine, which is a, a false doctrine, which is a form of a doctrine that is called tritheism. So there are a number of false doctrines in the religious world today that deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. 
But as we turn our attention to Scripture and we look at what God's Word has to say about the Holy Spirit, we see a number of passages that speak to His personality. For example, in John chapter 14 and verse number 16, Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, And I, pr- I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter or another helper, that He may abide with you forever. Notice, another comforter or helper, which indicates another of the same kind, and He is the comforter or the helper. In John 14 and verse 26, again keeping in mind that John 14, 15, and 16, the context of these chapters is Jesus speaking to the twelve apostles. Jesus says in John 14, 26, that when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name comes, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus is talking about the miraculous knowledge that was going to be available in the first century uh, that is no longer available today. But the principle is still true, and the principle is looking toward the Holy Spirit's personality. He is called the comforter of the hel- or the helper, and also he teaches. In John 15, verse 26, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit testifies. In John 16, verse 8 and 9, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit convicts. So right away, in just thinking about the personality of the Spirit, noticing that He is not just a force, noticing that He is not an apparition or a ghost, but rather that He has personality. We see that He is the Comforter, and that He teaches and testifies and convicts. But the Bible actually says a number of other things about the Holy Spirit that speak to personality. For example, in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 3, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 9, the Holy Spirit can be tested. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, the Holy Spirit can be insulted. In Romans 8 and verse 27, the Holy Spirit has a mind. In Ephesians 4 and verse 30, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Romans 8 and verse 26, the Spirit makes intercession. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks. And in Acts 7 and verse 51, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. So we've talked about the identity of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about one who is a member, a part of the Godhead or the Trinity. One divine essence with three distinct personalities. We've talked a little bit about the personality of the Holy Spirit, and we've seen or at least referenced a number of passages that tell us things about the Holy Spirit that force us into the unmistakable conclusion that the Holy Spirit is not just a force, He is not an apparition or a figment of mind or imagination, but He is personality. He can be lied to and tested and insulted and grieved. He makes intercession. He speaks. He can be resisted. He has a mind. He teaches. He testifies. He convicts. A number of things God's Word tells us about the personality of the Spirit. But now finally, let's spend a few moments talking about the action of the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to you that when talking about the action of the Holy Spirit, the key verse to keep in mind is Ephesians 6 and verse 17, where Paul says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. In that passage, Paul tells us that the sword, the weapon, the tool or instrument of the Holy Spirit, that is the Word of God. Now, when we study the work of the Holy Spirit, one thing we notice very quickly is that the job or the work of the Holy Spirit is to be the revealer of truth. In John 14, verse 26, a passage we noticed earlier, let's look at it again. Jesus says, When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, comes, He will teach you, and He will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. And then in John 15 and verse number 26, Jesus said to the apostles, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth he who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Jesus will talk about the work of the Spirit, and he will describe it as teaching and testifying and as speaking those words that God the Father gave him to speak. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about the mind of God, and he makes a comparison to the mind of man. And he says, Who can know what is in a man save the spirit of the man that is in him? In other words, I don't have the ability to read your mind, but you know what's in your mind. The same is said about God in his mind. We only know the things of God which God has chosen to reveal through and by his Holy Spirit. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. When Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, what he is talking about is the origination of Scripture. He's saying that the words of Scripture did not originate within the minds of the men who wrote them down, but rather they came as by the Holy Spirit. The holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul will say it this way in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So the Bible tells us that the Spirit is the revealer. He was going to teach and testify and reveal and speak the words that were given to him, John 14, 15, and 16. He has revealed the mind of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He has uh, produced uh, prophecy, or produced scripture, rather, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Now, the next thing that we need to make note of that is very important is that the Holy Spirit works through the word that he has revealed. He works through the word which he has revealed, first of all, to produce conversion. That is, to make people Christians. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the birth of the church, and we read about a sermon that Peter was preaching and the other apostles. And in Acts 2 and verse 37, the scripture says, Now when they heard this, they were cut at the heart, and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, what was it that caused the Jews on the day of Pentecost to ask the question, what shall we do? Meaning, what must we do in order to be saved? What caused that reaction was, according to verse 37, when they heard this. And what was it that they heard? 
They heard the words that the apostles were preaching, and the apostles were preaching those words by the inspiration or the miraculous gift given by the Holy Spirit. That's what produced the conversion. The Holy Spirit was active, but he was not active in a direct way upon those uh, who heard, but rather he was active in an indirect way through the words that he inspired which the apostles were preaching. In John 3, in verse number 5, uh, Jesus is speaking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he says in this passage, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, when he talks about being born of water, he's talking about baptism, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. But when he talks about Spirit, he is actually making reference to the Holy Spirit. But this passage is not talking about Holy Spirit baptism. It's not talking even about any sort of direct interaction of the Holy Spirit on the person. But instead, when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, and also 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, what we learn is this, that to be born of the water and the Spirit is simply to allow the Holy Spirit through the words that He has revealed to prick our hearts and cause us, push us, prompt us to ask the same question that was asked in Acts 2 and verse 37. That is, what do I need to do in order to be right with God? Being born of water and the Spirit has to do with hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel pricking our hearts and prompting us to change our lives and to obey the gospel, to obey the will of God. So that process of conversion that we see in Acts 2 and verse 38, where their heart was pricked by hearing the word of God, and then they asked, what shall we do? And they were told, repent and be baptized. That process continues to repeat itself over and over again, even to this very day. When we talk about the action of the Holy Spirit, we've got to recognize that he works through the word he has revealed, first of all, to produce conversion. But secondly, He works through the word that he has revealed to produce spiritual growth and maturity. In John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, Jesus has uh, his last of the seven I am statements. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, notice where the cleanliness comes from, according to John 15 3. It comes from the word that is spoken. But notice also that there is a little bit of a play on words here between verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, Jesus says that the Father prunes the Father prunes the branches that bear fruit so that they may bear more fruit. That's a reference to the Christian who is growing spiritually and maturing spiritually. When he says in verse 3 you are already clean, there's a play on words that is easier to see in Greek than English that is connecting this to the pruning. So in other words, Jesus says, when one branch produces fruit, the Father prunes it so it can produce more fruit, and you are already pruned, or you have already been pruned through the word that I have spoken. That is the idea. Notice that spiritual growth and maturity is connected 
to God's Word in this passage. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And as we study the context of Romans chapter 8, what we come to find out is that to be led by the Spirit of God simply means to be led by the words that the Spirit has inspired. When we apply the Word of God to our lives and when we allow that Word to direct us and to guide us in how we live, then we're going to be conforming ourselves to the will or to the Word of God and we'll begin to think and do things in the way that God wants us to think and the way that God wants us to do them. Being led by the Spirit simply has to do with following His instruction. And then we have Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16, the Apostle Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you think about walking in the Spirit, it has to do with walking in the realm of the Spirit or the domain of the Spirit, and the implication of it is the same as Romans 8 and verse 14. When we walk in the realm or the domain of the Spirit, that means we are living according to the instruction that He gives, and we are doing the things that He wants us to do. And then in verse number 22 and 23, He lists the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the things that are going to become evident in our lives as we live our lives by the Spirit's instruction. And a final passage we'll look at this, uh, for this episode comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9-11. through 11 where the Apostle Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What is Paul's prayer for these brethren? His prayer is that they may know more of God's will. And then he says, here's why. So that you may walk worthy, being fully pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So there are a number of things that Paul lists in verse 10 and 11 that have to do with spiritual growth and maturity, and he says these things are all going to come as a result of knowing more of the Word of God. When we talk about the action of the Holy Spirit, We have to recognize that He works through the Word that He has revealed in order to produce conversion, but He also works through the Word He has revealed in order to produce spiritual growth and maturity. There is nothing that the Spirit does to you that He does directly. There is nothing that the Spirit does to you that the Holy Spirit does not do through the Word that He has inspired. And that's a little bit about the action or the work of the Holy Spirit. There's, of course, much more, much more that can and should be said about the Holy Spirit in general and particularly about His work. But these are just a few basic fundamental truths that are important for us to understand about the Holy Spirit. Number one, His identity. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is a member or a part of the Godhead, one divine essence with three distinct personalities. In fact, talking about the personality of the Holy Spirit, we have to recognize that indeed the Bible does tell us He does have personality and describes it for us. He can be lied to and tested and grieved and so on. And then finally, the action of the Holy Spirit. 
He reveals the Word of God, and He works through the Word that He has revealed to produce conversion and to produce spiritual growth and maturity. He does not work in conjunction with the Word, but rather He works through the Word that He has revealed to produce conversion and to produce spiritual growth and maturity. That's all the time we have for this episode. We thank you so much for subscribing and for listening, and we hope that you will continue to listen and uh, study God's Word with us as we open up its pages and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. Please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.